Welcome everybody to Alchemy Answers episode 37. We are streaming this live on YouTube as always. And uh, if you're listening to this on Anchor, then you're also pretty cool. You're just a little bit late and that's fine. You know, sometimes you just, you're just not quite on the jump and you're just a little slow, but we need, we need all types here in this world. So we appreciate you just the same. Uh, if you want to ask your questions directly to us, patreon.com slash dota alchemy. And uh, yeah, other than that, any, anything to say before we hop into the episode, Jenkins? Yes, uh, George asked, uh, how do I request coaching and what does it cost? DM us. Yep, just DM us on Discord. The link to Discord is in the description below all of our videos. So just find a video and uh, join, join, join the old Discord. Send it, pop us an old message, even if you don't want coaching. Uh, I don't know about you, Donnie, but I respond to basically every message that somebody sends me. Yep. Um, eventually, sometimes... You know, I'm like depressed, <laughs> but and it takes me a couple of days, but I always respond. So yeah, man. Um, okay. I'll, also, we'll, I'll have an app for that. We'll have an app for that soon for for coaching. I think Henry's going to use it too, and I'm going to see if BSJ wants to use it. But anyway, Vasilio says it's often said that you should restrict your hero pool to climb MMR. I agree with this. Uh, what if you feel comfortable with more than four heroes? Is this just ignorance and how bad I am? with say the lower six out of 10 heroes that I think I'm good with? I believe the answer is yes. This is a great I don't, question, by the way. It's a really good question. And I don't, I, I, I mean that um, in, a, in a way that I'm thinking about myself being in a similar situation. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm projecting, maybe it's not true for you. That is a possibility. I would say from what I've seen in other people and in myself, it's very likely that you actually aren't comfortable with more than four heroes because there are <clears throat> there are different levels to understanding a hero the the level that you want to get to with like your top three pub winning heroes like your climbing heroes are you can be completely hard countered and you will still have a game uh, because if the enemy team completely hard counters you which they do a lot of the time, even if you are comfortable, but not at the highest possible level with the hero mechanically, you're going to feed because it's very hard to play against five counters. But if you're playing against five counters and you know exactly what to build at every timing to stop them from countering you and to just survive and have a game, then it's extremely game winning. In fact, I'd say you'd much rather be in a game like that and be able to play than be in a completely free game with that hero. That's how good it is, is that it's actually better to be in one of those countered games. Um, so I would say, yes, what it sounds like you need to do is spam one hero 20 games in a row until you know every single nuance of that hero and how, and pick it first. Let people counter you and get used to being countered until it gets to the point where you can play against five counters and you'll feel fine. And then you'll have the realization that like, oh shit, every hero can feel like this. Right. It's not just... It, like I personally had this with Pudge for a long time. I was like, oh, Pudge is so versatile. He can play against any hero. And then I realized I just had played so much Pudge that I knew what to do with right. uh, do against every hero. And that, that, that goes for every single hero. Yeah, I want to add to that a little bit because I think it's, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of data that you can hold in your head at any given time. I forget what the number is. You're allowed to have like a certain number of relationships with people like there's a certain close relationship 20 or something yeah it's, like, it, it's, it's not a lot but it's not like your friends that you used to know are no longer your friends but you just don't know them quite as well because you haven't talked to them recently or something like that and that's kind of the same thing with heroes um you know you can learn a bunch of skills but if you're not practicing them very consistently you're going to get rusty 
but those skills will come back faster when you need to pull them out again. And so, you know, if you've played 500 games of a hero and then you don't play it for like six months or something like that, picking that hero back up is going to be much faster than learning a brand new hero or picking right. up a hero that you've only played like 20 times. But at the same time, the heroes that you're currently playing and spamming and you know all of these interactions are still going to feel better than if you pick that hero up for the first time, uh, despite all of your experience on it, because you just simply can't hold all of the data and all of the, remember all of the matchups and all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that you should necessarily let it completely not allow you to, unless it, it's all about what you want to accomplish, right? So it's good to have these heroes that you can kind of throw into a game. Like, let's say that you have a hero that you've played 500 times, and you can play that hero at a range of MMRs between, like, 500 and 1,000 higher than your current average MMR. And it's a perfect game to play that hero. But it's not one of the three heroes that you're spamming. And the three heroes that you're spamming allow you to play very consistently at 500 to 1,000 MMR higher, or 2,000 MMR higher than your normal MMR, something like that. This is getting a little bit convoluted, but... It's good to be able to occasionally throw that hero in. And that's what the pros do. Is like they have, you know, five heroes that they play, four heroes that they play very consistently, but then they also have this pool of heroes that they play not quite to the same level as those five heroes, but it's pretty damn good. It's it's competitive enough to where they yeah, can they pull it out. Yeah, they spice it up with these heroes when it's a really good game for it. Yeah. Like it's, you know, you have the main ingredients, you have the pasta, you have the tomatoes, and then there's some little spices that you throw in there, but you you can't make a dish without the main ingredients, you know? Right. And spices, it's like, you know, you only need the main salt, pepper, there's maybe a oregano, depending on what the spices are. But you don't need that many spices to make it a, a main course, you know? Right. Really like, like if, if Miracle was playing a game and Kuroki was like, hey, this is the perfect game for you to go Invoker mid. Like, when's the last time you actually saw Miracle play Invoker mid in a pro game? It's probably been like six months or a year at this point. Long time. Like, he could still play it, but there's, it's, you know it's not realistic to expect him to play that to the same level that he was when he was playing Invoker mid every single game. So Yeah, of course. So even even Miracle, who's somebody who's obviously extremely capable right. of basically playing a hero that he hasn't played in months. Zai too, you know, you yeah. see the, you see the, you see these players that are, are notorious for being able to just pick up a hero and play it with very little with very little practice. And you still look at their profiles and they're picking three or four heroes. Yeah. Every single game. That's what makes somebody like Mid One or Miracle or Zai so impressive is that they can, like, in the middle of a tournament, play this hero that is like some niche part of their hero pool that they haven't played in six months, but they've literally played like fifty thousand games of Dota. So they have, you know, amassed five hundred games or so on this hero throughout the course of their Dota career. So they know how it works. And they can still bring it in and play at a ti or tournament winning level on this hero despite not being fully at their peak on it yep i agree with what you said about uh occasionally you can throw in other heroes and also it's it's not bad to practice like if you want to practice 10 heroes or whatever that's cool it's just you need to understand you're probably gonna lose like you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to play a thousand mmr above your above your current bracket if you're exactly. playing like 10 to 15 heroes but it'll be good for learning and then that'll allow you to pick heroes up later uh later on they're not going to be competitive you, you can't be competitive on that many heroes unless you're literally a god yep okay so let's see access to public bathrooms what is what is the discussion here? what is 
I just scrolled down. I'm people talking about public bathrooms. Okay, the last crusader. Uh, does Dota automatically put you with teams that you can't lose with if you are on a loss streak? I had like an eight loss streak where my teams never seemed to coordinate, and now my recent games feel like I could do nothing, and I would still win, and it feels really weird. Oh my fuck! Don't get me started on this. Jesus Christ. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. I feel like the answer is yes. Okay, I'm thinking from. Listen, man, I'm thinking right. from a tinfoil hats on. <laughs> okay, listen, man, listen. Okay, so you 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 know you know that there is science behind uh, giving somebody like a lost streak and then giving them a win streak and getting that huge like dopamine rush and you know we we talk, we've talked about this before the whole concept of like without negativity there isn't positivity like you have to feel like shit in order to feel extremely good and euphoric about uh winning something that's actually just as simple as a fucking video game you know what i mean it's like they have to get you hooked they have they want to get you hooked it's their it's it's the, the point of making the game you know it's how they make money i'm telling you man Valve has a guy that's a fucking psychology PhD that literally like wrote a, P a PhD thesis, a fucking doctorate on how to get people alcohol levels of addicted to a video game. And he's the guy that's doing the algorithm and he's getting off to it. He's loving life. Like nobody at Valve even know what, what is this fucking guy? Is that the janitor? What does he do? He's just in the corner on his own, just like jerking off to the algorithm. I'm never going to get invited to Valve events for saying this, dude. But you're right, man. This is absolutely correct. This motherfucker is like, all right, we're going to give these guys a dopamine rush today. This guy hasn't had his dopamine for the week. We need to keep him addicted because if we keep giving him losses, he's going to quit. We don't want people to quit. I need to keep getting off in the corner at the Valve office and keep my job, make people think I'm the janitor. So I'm going to give people this dopamine rush and then take it away from them. And then, dude, I'm telling you, it's like it's basically abuse. It's basically physical abuse that the matchmaking algorithm does to us. Right. And to simplify and, and maybe translate for a slightly less technical audience, what you're saying is that when you lose like 300 MMR, suddenly you're playing against people that are 300 MMR lower than your average. So you just start winning. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Moving on I'm to saying. the next question. Because okay. your answer is bullshit. <laughs> Shadow, I am a main position four and five player. I win the lane around 90% of the time. I doubt that. That's a very high number. <laughs> I, I really feel like you shouldn't be winning 90% of the time because there are times where you should be going even. Maybe you're lumping those those ones in. Uh, around the five to six minute mark, I usually leave lanes for runes, warding, ganking opportunities, and I'm just at a loss. What I'm supposed to do late game if my cores don't push or take advantage of mistakes? Anyone feel free to answer. I'm hearing a lot of excuses being made in this post. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think if if you are picking a hero that is a support that's for okay, number one, if you're position four and your cores aren't aren't taking advantage of mistakes, that's what position fours are supposed to do. Like if you're an Earth Spirit, you're the one that's supposed to be taking advantage of people's mistakes. So for position four, you're your core. So if you're losing in the late game, that's just straight up your fault as well. Uh, for position five, you might just be picking heroes that are really shitty in the late game and don't have control over the game. 
and uh, just given, and I mean, I mean this with love. I mean this as somebody who wants you to get better and I've made similar excuses and I've fixed them and gotten better. This, this sounds like to me, you probably are picking heroes that do have a, a certain amount of control, but you're just letting, you're, you're just making excuses and tilting. And, and, uh, I feel like if you're like a winter wyvern or a warlock or any of these heroes, like you can hit a huge team fight ultimate in the late game and just win the game for your team. Like it's not, it's not your core's fault. Like there's the late game is everybody. So you're running around as five in fighting. It's, it's, it's everybody. Sometimes it can even mainly be the position, the position five. And I mean, if you're doing your job, if you're getting your spells off and casting everything correctly, then there's nothing you can do and you're just getting a, an unlucky uh, string of losses. But uh, that's very unlikely if you're stuck, if you're stuck at, uh, if you're stuck at an MMR and you think that you're getting all of your spells off and you're doing everything correct, it's it's very unlikely to be true in my opinion. And it probably means that you're missing something in, in your gameplay and you want to find that. And the, the way to, the, the first step in finding that is to say, fuck the excuses, fuck this shit doesn't matter if the excuses are right or wrong because right or wrong, they prevent you from looking at what's important in the games. And that's how to improve yourself uh, because all the other shit doesn't matter. Once again, even if you're correct, even if your teammates are complete idiots, they're literally multiple like animals, like cats and dogs playing on their computers. It doesn't matter because what you want to get out of the game is something to improve yourself because you're never going to fucking see these people again. Who gives a shit about them? You don't need to coach them. You don't need to care about them. Yeah, what just, I'm what I'm hearing oh. from this, what I'm hearing from the way this is worded, is that you are just lazy, and I don't, you know, I hope you don't take offense from me saying that, but it sounds like you basically have the attitude that if you have a good early game, then you've done your job, and the rest of the game will take care of itself without you having to put any effort into it, which is something that a lot of people I think feel, and I something that I've had to break myself of a habit. Like if I'm supporting and I give my carry a perfect lane, and we're winning the early game, I can't just stop playing the game well and expect us to win. I can't stop like actively trying to look for plays and continue supporting my team. There's there's no point at which a Dota game gets to the, like, the point where you can just be like, all right, hands off the keyboard, letting Jesus take the wheel. Like no, That's not how it works. Like You continue to play the game as well as possible for the entire game, and that's how you win games, because the other team's not going to stop trying like they're still gonna try and win the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's just a, a whole uh, complicated beast. And um, oh man, I want I, I kind of wanted to make a video about this. I had some, you know, you have like fleeting thoughts, and they're kind of just like they haven't formulated themselves into words yet. Just like kind of a cloud of ideas. I was just thinking about uh, just you know the the concept of of like excuses and. There's a lot in Dota that you can be absolutely correct about in the real world, but because it's such a competitive environment and because you have to, because the only concern really is like improving yourself, there is shit that you should argue about and stuff that you should focus on in the real world, but not in Dota, not in something that's competitive. Um, so for example, when I played on a team, uh, many times actually, this was a big problem for me. I would always argue with people because they would say, hey, Jenkins, you should do this. This wasn't good. You should do this. And then as they were talking, I would realize that they, you know, they like used a fallacy. 
something like that, logical fallacy. Uh, or they would say, you know, A and then not A. So they would say things that are correct and then make a, a complete uh, contradiction. So I'd argue. And I was correct in the academic sense. I was correct in the sense that logically what I was saying was correct. But the fact that I was arguing was fucking useless. Mm -hmm. It accomplished nothing other than proving that I was right. So right. basically what I'm saying is in Dota, a lot of the time you have to swallow your pride and even swallow your intelligence. I don't know. Swallow your, your like, it's too fast paced. You have to learn quickly. There's a lot of people that want to get good at this game. There's a, there's a lot to it. it. There's, you know, infinite permutations of what can happen in a game. You have to be really focused. You have to be really focused on what's important. And if you're focused on what's important to you in the sense of other things in life and it's not, and, and not Dota, you're just going to get left behind. Like you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to improve as fast as the people that are, that are competing with you. And I mean that at like a, you know, high level sense in Dota and then also just the people in your bracket, they're going to, they're going to get better than you faster because people play this game. They want to win. They really want to win. It's an, it's super addictive game. So all I'm saying is you don't have to feel bad about making excuses because it's a bait. Everybody does because of the things that I mentioned, because basically in other facets of life, these discussions would be important, but in Dota, it's not. So you're getting baited into making these excuses in a realm where it doesn't matter. It's just wasting your time. And you, you absolutely need to get to, to cut that shit out ASAP. Um, even though it's going to be hard. Yeah. I mean, essentially it's like, you're going to get better fastest when you take full responsibility for every single game that you lose because right which is absolutely not going to be true it's, it's not it's the case like you are going to lose because your team a lot of the time because they're going to make huge mistakes that you make like a tiny minor one but if you actively think about what you could possibly do to win every game more than you're currently doing you're just going to get better it's that simple right it's funny because this goes back to stoicism, which we haven't talked about in a while, so this is fine. <laughs> but uh, you know, the the whole the whole idea of stoicism as a philosophy is not that it's a true philosophy; it's that it's a useful one. That's the whole idea. It's just that if you are stoic as a person, it will just benefit you generally. Is it correct? No, no stoic philosopher gives a fuck of whether it's morally correct or whatever. It's literally just about being useful. And it's the exact same thing. You need to be a stoic of Dota in that sense. You just need to do whatever is useful for you, improving and trick yourself in whatever way you can into sticking to that and not getting baited. Yep. That's that's that that's that's my advice generally for making excuses. As I said, I might actually make a video about that. I'm not sure. It's just kind of a cloud of of ideas, but I've been playing competitive recently again, so I've been thinking about this sort of stuff. Hell yeah. Share it with us, man, if you want to. So Enigma's Flame. Uh, okay, he was responding to... <laughs> he was agreeing with me. <laughs> he was agreeing to the, the matchmaking thing. Uh, okay, so... So the changes with the T2 Fort Glyph are T2's worth defending now because it still feels like they really aren't worth it. Uh, yes, Tier 2s tier are worth defending if you specifically want to... Um, if you specifically want to fight the tier twos. Now, the question of when is it more important to assault a tier two versus defending a tier two, I would say that that's a, quite a high level question if you really want to go, uh, get down to it. But 
for the most part, you want to play on the enemy side of the map. If you're stronger, you just take any fight. If you have better late game, defending towers is usually better because all you need to do is just defend defend and, and stall out the game and, and you'll win. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. But I would say yes, defending a tier two is, is worth it if you are actually going to take a fight. Uh, and, and that's and that's when you can fort the tier two. Would you, is, is when... would you say that this is a correct statement? Because I'm, I'm not sure, but this, this is kind of how I'm thinking about it right now, which is that when you are making a decision to defend a tier two, it should either be like one of two scenarios. Number one, you're already set up for it and are capable of winning a fight there. And number two, um, you're not already on the other side of the map. Like it doesn't require a long trip to get your heroes from pressuring the enemy team to defending that tower. Because like, if the enemy team is pressuring your tier two tower and they're pulling all of your heroes back from attacking their base, then they're doing a good job, right? Yeah, you usually the way usually the way you'd want to do it is you TP some like Sand King or Pudge or some shit to the tier three and then have them run up to the tier two and just kind of like sit in trees and kite the creeps away. Like have your supports right. like set up on the shrine or smoke. And then have the enemy team like commit to that tanky hero, and then that's when you that's when you defend defend the tower or something like that. But um, yeah, it's it, it 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 does really depend on the context. I would say I I think like the situations that you mentioned are correct, but I think there's more to it. Like for example, you could defend a tier two in the sense that you're split pushing their tier three, so you know they have to split up to defend the tier three. So right. you just go for the people at the tier two who are like stra uh, stragglers trying to get out. Sure. Like there's there's a, a whole lot of scenarios where it's it's just good. Um, but I would say that most of the time you make a movement onto your side of the map, you either A, need to like deward that entire area and start playing there with the intent of taking the tier one and tier two in that area. Um, AKA you've already taken the towers everywhere else or you get the fuck back to the other side of the map ASAP because you don't want to play on your side of the map generally, unless that's where the objectives are. Right. It's it's. I think it's fine to play in your own jungle if you've t already taken like all of the towers on the other side of the map because then you can very easily play in that area. It's unsafe for them. It's like a restricted area and you can have somebody go down there and like farm that really safely. Um, and then also like, you know, you're playing around the objectives. There's no point in playing in their, in their jungle to get objectives if you don't really see yourself getting the tier three and the tier three is the only objective that's still available so that's when you move to the other side of the map in fact i played with monkeys forever the other day and when you when you play with these like pros or watch them stream you kind of get an idea of how they think just based on like reading between the lines and what they're saying um and monkeys is a very vocal dude so we had some warlocks on like rank 800 warlock in like our top 200 game right so this guy's like fucking up and choking and apologizing, trying really hard to like impress every. You, you know how it is. You get like a game in a bracket above you and you're just like, oh, fuck, I'm so out of my element. <laughs> uh, so this guy's trying real hard and he's defending in the safe lane and Monkeys Forever is just like, no, don't go up there. Why are you up there? We haven't taken the tier one and tier two bot yet. So why are you why are you defending our safe lane? And it's like it slipped out, but he kind of gave me the idea that that's when he thinks you should change position on the map is when you've taken the towers in the area surrounding the enemy jungle, and then that's when you swap positions, which I think that's simplifying it, but I think that is a general good rule of thumb. And it's funny because the Warlock died like two seconds later after that, just like fed because he was in the most dangerous area of the map that they have all towers and shit and all wards, so he died. But it was cool because I, I, you know, Monkeys is like a top 70 player or something, and, and his 
justification for moving back into his own jungle as a team is literally just do we have all the towers in their around their jungle? Right. If yes, let's go back. Sure. Pretty cool. All right. Let me the Zuck. Questions for QA. How do you win with undying in a pub? Uh you basically win the laning stage. That's it. That hero doesn't do anything else after that. You drop to your tombstone after that. Show up for every single fight, basically. Like yeah. 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 Otherwise you don't get any I don't know. You don't get any experience or anything like that. Um the hero's insane in the late game if you can get there. But super late game, yeah. Yeah. It's he's he's a tough one because you can't push waves, you can't really do a whole lot, so I don't know. I mean he's He's super fun to play, but he's really hard to actually win pubs with. In my, in, opinion. in my opinion, Undying is like strictly a lane, like a lane dominating support. Like you pick that just to destroy the lane and and be a team fight tombstone, and that, that's kind of it. It's like it's like an Abaddon. You you just pick it to win the lane, and then you're just a hero that sits behind your team and supports them. And yeah, with Undying, you're the tombstone. With Abaddon, you're just like a heal bot. But uh, generally, if you haven't won the lanes hard enough. And your cores are idiots. You'll just lose pubs because those heroes don't have much. Those heroes legit don't have much control outside of the laning stage. However, with that being said, they do have a lot of control in the laning stage. So if you're good enough at it, you can win the game. So once again, excuses are shit here. Uh, like you, you can be good enough at different stages of Dota to win there, even if you suck at the other ones. But um, yeah, I, I would I would personally only pick like Undying if I if I knew that there was some solid core hero to support on my team. And if there was a good player, other than that, I'd probably want something that's a little more control, like a Shadow Shaman. Yeah, Midas into Ags, another way to win games. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What is he? The, the Ags is still the old, the old Ags, right? Ten strength. Ten strength. Yep. Yeah. Just three hundred pure damage. Yeah. And an AOE. Big Moose says they aren't listening to us peasants. Got you. I am listening. Uh, okay. Gangsy says, what towers are most important to defend and when? I know mid is ultimately important, but I remember a point where Jenkins brought up where he mentioned the longer the game goes, the more valuable the tier one safe lane tower is. Can you explain why? Okay, so basically the mid and the mid tower and the safe lane tier one tower are arguably the most important towers in Dota. Um, there's a lot to that discussion, and I know a lot of a lot of top players be like, "What is he saying? It's not, it's not the most, imp it's not the most important." But the only reason they would say that is just because it's a very complex and nuanced issue, and uh, you know, Dota players are just extreme people. So, in any case, uh, you could you could make a very solid argument, I think, that the tier one safe lane tower and the tier one mid tower are the most important towers in Dota. Uh, you could even make an argument that the tier one safe lane tower is more important than the mid tower. Uh, simply because of the area that it makes available to the enemy team if it's taken. So the mid-tier the mid -tier one, if uh, you take that, you can access both of the jungles, both the triangle and the big jungle, the safe lane jungle, uh, by just walking through that lane, and they're not going to have vision of you. Uh, that's also a tower that's very close to Roshan on both sides. So you can TP there and defend Roshan. You can set up wards for Roshan if anybody's getting killed uh, around the middle of the map which there are no other towers close to. You can TP there and show up to like a river fight, something like that, a rune fight, even go for bounties. Like there's a lot of shit that that gives you access to essentially. And the tier one safe lane tower is also like that. 
where if you take that area, there's so much distance between that tier one and the tier two that if you take that tier one, there's so much of an area that the enemy team can now occupy where there's no teepees there, there's no vision there, the creeps are going to uh, they're, they're going to have the equilibrium way closer to the uh, the tier two, uh, most likely because you know the creeps bounce between the the towers and uh, so so basically like it's 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 all about vision, it's all about control of the map, and I would say that like it depends on the game whether the tier one mid or the tier the tier uh, one bot is more important. But the reason that I was saying in the video that I believe you're referring to the more valuable the tier one safe lane tower is the longer the game goes on is because if you can take their tier one and you have somebody just defending um, your tier one, that is the easiest tower to get. So if you just sit there and defend that and they keep sieging it and you keep getting more and more and more and more gold, then it gets harder and harder and harder to siege it. And you can just see that there's this wall that just builds up and eventually you just win Dota because they can't take the easiest objective on the map. Now that's when a good team would probably go smoke and take the mid tower or split push or something like that. But generally that tier one safe lane tower is what people try to get first because it is absolutely the easiest tower to take. It's... There's, there's way less areas that you can get, like, ganked from. There's a huge amount of distance between the Tier 1 and the Tier 2. There's there's a lot of reasons. It's, it's really easy to siege that tower. And that's why a lot of people, like, defend the hell out of the mid-tower and sack that tower. Because even though they're close to the same importance, it's way fucking harder to defend the Tier 1 safe line tower. So people just say, all right, let's not do that. Because if we lose a fight there, guess what? You lose the Tier 2. And if you win a fight there, you don't even get a Tier 1 because they'll respawn by the time... But with the mid tower, if you defend a, if you defend the mid tower, you take their mid tower, right? So it's it's way easier to defend the mid tower than it is to defend the tier one safe lane. But it's just like a, essentially a strat to to just hard defend that tier one safe lane tower for as long as possible. Just a way of getting gold and playing the map efficiently. Yeah, basically, if you think about it in terms of like a, a pie chart, like what happens usually is the tier one safe lane goes down for one team. And that gives them access to about another quarter of the farm on the map. Right, the bounty, the bounty runes, and like three jungle camps. Right. So now they they have three quarters of the farm access on the map. So the other team needs to take the other safe lane tower to get it back to fifty fifty. And if they don't do that, then they're just at a massive like three to one disadvantage for right. the rest of the game. Right. There's like there's heroes that are very good at sitting in the safe lane, just defending that tower. Wyvern, just play wyvern. You'll never Dead lose towers. Wyvern. <laughs> Uh, Shadow Shaman to to some degree if you go for the max Q build. Although I'd probably rather him aggressively pushing. Like, I don't know why you pick that hero to do that. Yep. Uh, okay. So uh, damn Claire, I just watched Game Leaf's interview of PPD. He brought up some good points. That was cool that they got him on there. Yeah. It's funny. We should we should probably just ask people. I'm sh I'm sure people would would come on. Yeah, man. I I, I should ask, I should ask CC and C. He he coached me. He coached me like a couple days ago. Yeah, I mean, and, um, I gotta give a shout out to Speed. He's he's definitely been like doing some good content for Game Leap these days. Like, I feel like he's pushing the envelope a little bit more so than they ever have been before. Yeah, he's great. He's great. I like him a lot. Uh, that being said, how do I start playing League or Team Dota? Oh man. Uh, so like when I played, there was all these sm small little leagues, like Sunday Evening Cup, where you'd win a hundred bucks. There was there was tons of like these little leagues that you could get into, amateur leagues. Now there really aren't. A lot of them so battle cup uh, i i would just say like generally uh, battle cup is good play with your friends in battle cup try to play as high tier as you can because that's going to be relatively structured dota um also play in like whatever open qualifiers you can there's for every minor and major there's open qualifiers 
and you'll get to a point where you just get devastated by a team and you want to look at those replays and just and just continue to get better. I know the I know there's a Reddit Dota 2 league. I know I know that's that's a that's a thing. Yeah, um, the cool thing about opens actually is that you can play those at any level. Like you can be 4K, you can be 3K, you can play the opens. All you have to do is sign up. And yeah. you'll get smashed by like some 7K stack or a real team, but at least you actually get the experience of playing in a competitive environment. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think I think opens are your best, your absolute best resource. Um, Cause you can literally actually play against like EG and shit. And yeah. <laughs> so you can learn stuff really quickly about what they're abusing that you're, that you're giving to them. Although you'd probably learn more about getting crushed by some like tier three, you know, group of like random immortals where you'll just see what right. they're doing that you're not. And then once you learn that you keep, keep upping it. Um, but yeah, it's, it just, I, I would say also like you probably don't want to play too much team Dota until you're like, four to five K MMR. I think up until that point, you need to work on your own individual skill and it's going to be a pretty big waste of time trying to work on the team stuff uh, because you're going to have so many problems individually that it, there's going to be a whole lot of like discussion as a team. It's just worthless. It just doesn't, doesn't like re result in anything because everybody just has like a lot of incorrect opinions. And, uh, but the th with that being said, to get to like four to five k, I'm not saying that as if it's some like massive, um, massive thing. It's just like the steps that everybody has to take if they're if they're gonna try to play in some sort of opens and like do do okay. I know a lot of people say like six k is is the limit, but I, I think I think like I think like at, once you're four to five k, you probably know every hero. You probably know like like this question, for example, about like hey, why is the mid tier one more important than the than the the um, the tier one bot like? Those are really important questions, in my opinion, that people weren't asking like year, a couple of years ago in Dota. Like you have to kind of be like four to five k to think about shit like that, yep. and that's the shit. That's the shit that you think about when you're playing on a team, and when you like that question is not useful if you're like two to three k because people don't even people don't even like know how to correctly position their hero or like last hit or whatever. You know, like there's other things you should be focusing on, basically. Yep. I don't know if you, you agree with that, but I feel like it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, me trying to learn combos and smash when like, I, I'm not even, I don't even use grab, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there's anything wrong with like integrating some team environment into your play, just like introduce you to what it's like to be there. But I don't think you should really try and take it seriously until you've grasped like your, your own individual sort of role and what you like to do and what heroes you like to play. Which it's basically, kind of like, if, if you can do that, then you probably are like three to four. I know there's a lot games. of like, there's a lot of like overly analytical people on Dota. And once again, this goes back to the discussion of, um, the discussion of like certain things are very useful in the real world, but in Dota, it's not useful. Uh, and in, in a lot of competitive things, it's not useful. Like being overly analytical in a game and using big words and buzzwords and shit like that. Yeah, it sounds cool. And uh, I know we do it a lot in videos because I don't know. You want to you want to hear that shit. You want people to speak to speak in that way. Just it just sounds better. It gives you a better understanding when you're actually sitting down and listening and, and analyzing. But I can tell you that I got uh, I got coached by CCNC the other day, and 
that guy, without like giving away, I don't give away any of his, of his info because I know he really wouldn't like that. But that guy, the way that he uses words is that he says like two words and I get so much from it, you know? And it's always these words, like if you watch him stream, he'll say, I'm cucking them mid. And you may think that's funny and you may think that that's, that's a meme, but as a Dota player, I know exactly what he means by that because of the word that he chose to use. It's like, if you're, if somebody says, Hey, we're cucking them right now, just keep abusing the map. I immediately know that that means continue doing what we're doing. They're getting less farm than us. Like there's this extremely complicated understanding behind a very simple choice of, of word. And, uh, he, he does, he does that a lot. And I think there's a, there's a correlation between people that are able to simplify things and keep th things simple in a game and, um, and, and people that are extremely high tier Dota players. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think there's a lot of extremely overly analytical people in Dota that analyze, analyze, analyze what's the best percentage thing to do here. What's the best extremely nuanced item decision to make here when it's just kind of like, man, you just need to fucking move your hero to the right place. Like you just shouldn't play around this area. You shouldn't play to this bounty. You should like listen to the words I'm using. I'm it's such it's so simple. You shouldn't play to this bounty. You should play to this tier one. It's not. It's like it's not co complicated. You know what I mean? But you get paralysis you get it. by analysis. Basically, is what a lot of people experience. They spend so much time trying to find all the nuances. It's like the we same need to thing. Deal with the map pressure that this alchemist is applying and infiltrate his jungle. And it's like no man. Just say, we need to play to this Alk. He's their win condition. It's the like, same thing as people focusing on like, oh, you missed the last hit. It's like, yeah, well, I pushed the wave out in like less than a second. Whereas you're trying to get every single last hit. You spend like three to four seconds clearing the wave exactly, and you die. Exactly. Dude, it goes back <laughs> to the same discussion. Yeah. The game fucking baits you to do things that aren't good because it naturally feels right. If from like a human psychological perspective, it feels right. But it's not in the game. It's not. Like, getting yourself killed is a lot of the time good, and that doesn't feel naturally okay. So, yeah, the game, the game, the game, the game baits you to do this, like, over-hyper analysis, and it's not good. Anyway, this is super tangential. Um, we'll move on. Uh, what tier is Clockwork right now? Uh, what are the top three rumors right now? I think Clockwork's, like, B tier, if, if that, maybe C tier. I think Clock's, I think he's all right. Uh, the top three rumors are probably, like, Earth Spirit, Earthshaker. One second, let me look at the heroes. He's on he's on the rise because he's been getting buffed, but he's just one of those heroes that like if he's not just snowballing getting kills early on, he doesn't contribute very much into like any other part of the game after landing yeah. stage. Uh like what about pose for bat? Uh, uh no for Bangalier. Pango, yeah. but the thing, Pango and Bat are like good because they can be picked early, and you don't know what role they are. It's 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 not necessarily that they're these like epic roamers, uh, but Earth Spirit and Earthshaker are definitely like top top two right now. Those are those are insane heroes. I don't think any other heroes are on their tier. Look, looking at, <laughs> uh, yeah, Spearbreaker, Spearbreaker for pubs is S tier. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, and Clockwork is like. A or B or sorry B or C tier. Yep. Hi guys, new to Patreon. I love your stuff. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, if it isn't too late, how do you play Laundry effectively? I want to play him, but I watch high MMR players and can't compete. I've tried to mimic them, but to no avail. That's a tough one, man. I've tried that as well. It it just doesn't feel that great right now. 
that feels like a, an extremely uh, extremely difficult hero to play like pros do. <laughs> like, I think pros have a team that pl that plays around them. Yeah, it's definitely so, a huge part of it. I also think that your approach to the question is a little bit wrong because you're you're saying that you're like you're watching pro players play it and you're trying to mimic them but it doesn't really sound like you're analyzing your own play and just kind of like picking up small little things that you're doing wrong on the hero like even if the hero is not necessarily that good you still need to kind of spend some time practicing and analyzing like just look at your replays what are you doing wrong are you messing up your last hitting with the bear during the lane or is, is your bear randomly dying when it shouldn't are you itemizing correctly there's so many things that you can work on even if a hero is not good to get better at it. And I feel like just asking us to explain how to play Lone Druid is not going to actually get you anything useful. That's true. That's true. That's like a, that, that, that is, that's one of those things where like, if, if we, if we answer that, uh, we're actually baiting you into like asking bad questions and, and not getting the right information. Like we're not actually helping you by, by answering that because the, the bottom line is what you need to do is look at a lone druid replay and actually pull good information from it. Most yeah. importantly, like where where do these players put their hero at the different moments in the game and why are they there? Yep. That's that's all that's all I can really say. Like you can start with that, but there's a whole lot to look at in a replay. But that's definitely the most important thing. It's just where do they where do they move? What are what are their timings? Timings are all like, you know, you'll get some item, you'll get some skill. And then you move your hero to somewhere else to pressure somewhere else because you have the timing, and that's what you want to. That's what you want to look for. But just telling you like how to play Lundrid effectively is definitely, is definitely not, uh, not going to help you for us to for us to tell you. That's um that's something that's going to take you looking at a at a replay and, and having like an epiphany. Okay, so Loey Val says I have Shadow Demon in my next all hero challenge. <laughs> game plan to play him and to get to my next hero um same answer as the last same, question <laughs> i mean okay spam your poison on somebody who doesn't like to have poison spammed on them like some hero that does nothing against magic damage and then pick them against i don't know an illusion hero or when you the the purge is really good so if you're against like some hero that doesn't like to be constantly purged such as a necrophos in fact i'd say shouting is the hardest counter to necrophos in the game yeah, he anyway. owns him really hard. I, You know, pick him when you would need to pick a, a save hero because he's got a pretty good save. Pick him if you're against a hero that makes really good illusions or if you have, like, a Morphling or a Luna on your team, you can get a lot. Alchemist with Radiance, those are all heroes that you can pair him with pretty well. Yeah. And then just play him like Do a normal support. Ward and save your team. I was, uh, I was not telling you to do your best. You should, but do your best, Patreon supporter says. Uh, can you share tips... For playing a fragile position one hero in solo queue, I've been practicing position one, 2.5 to 3k bracket. I find most success playing heroes that are strong laners or can come online and contribute early. I've been struggling with Spectre as it seems very reliant on my team, not getting run over before my rad timing. I would say try Diffusal Blade in those games. One of the big reasons this hero is extremely good right now is because she has multiple item builds that she can go for in different situations. You can go for a Diffusal and contribute before a Radiance timing. You can still dip back for a Radiance if you want. I would say give that a shot uh, because that's one of the main reasons the hero is powerful right now. Uh, I do believe that there is something I can do that I'm not currently implementing. There you go. Yep. Get a Diffusal Blade in those games where it's hard. Yeah, don't uh, be fixated on Radiance. You can get Radiance at any point in the game as Spectre, and it will be very useful. Yep, yep. That hero, if you can just survive the early game, you win. So literally do anything that you can. Radiance is greedy. It's like if you have... 
if your team is that's the scary thing about Spectre. That's why she's a good hero that you have to pressure. You have to actually be winning the game early, otherwise she will get a radiance and end you. But even if she even if you are pressuring early, she can still contribute. That's why Spectre's so scary. It's that you have that option of getting a radiance and just winning the game based on that. Yep. Okay. Hockey yep. says, I so as I've been getting better at position five, I find I can stay completely out of experience range as a safe lane support by pulling and walking to the lane to spam my spells and faint presence. Hockeyionaire taught me that that's an actual word or was it you i don't know then get back to pulling which i know is great for my carry but i have been finding that i'm so under level doing this and just getting level five sometimes only level four after using the 10 minute tome but i'm feeling useless for so long in the next five to ten minutes and i try to catch up on levels this is normal or should i be leeching more experience i would say if your carry is like super over leveled because you're doing this this is great and i see a lot of high level supports doing this like, people are level 4 on Warlock at 10 minutes, they use the Tome, and they almost get to level 6. And that's fine, because a lot of these supports, they have spikes at level 6. So like, all you need is these is, is, is level 6, and you'll contribute. And then you walk around in Ward, and, uh, you know, if you're really low level and you get a kill on somebody in a team fight, you'll, you'll level up eventually. You can also take a lane and just farm there while your team does whatever, because you've given them tons, tons of space. I would say this is good, man. Don't feel bad about this. Like, as long as... I mean, I guess I'd need to see the replay. As long as you're not wasting you know, a lot like, of time. Yeah, as long as you're not wasting time, and and you're if you have like a level eight anti mage, and you're level three or something, and the off laners like nobody can pressure that guy because you're just giving him solo XP. That's oof, that's great. That's super good. That's fucking amazing. That's beautiful. Then just find find the t the heroes that want to be like kind of pushing lanes, pushing towers, and just go sit by them, and you'll get experience as they push the wave, and you just kind of like advance up the lane you push the bottom tier one with your team you get a level from that as your other team cl uh, clears the creeps and you clear the next wave with your team like you, you catch up very very quickly as a support and i would say it's pretty standard to not be level six by level by by minute 10 as a five i think i think it happens a lot actually yeah in in high level games it's it's like fives get fucked yeah <laughs> they, they just spend all their money on uh, century wards and give their cores the best game of their life. That's that's what they do. Yep. All right. The Zuck says for QA, uh, what are the best supports to pair with PA? The Musk has been picking Lion. It seems good enough. But what else? Uh, Grimstroke is pretty nice because you can do like the PA Grimstroke. You, oh, yeah. You put, the, put the buff on the PA. She jumps in and stuns somebody. That's pretty nice. Uh, PA is not, not a great hero, in my opinion. She's pretty weak. She might yeah. be the. Dazzle is is pretty nice. Oh, dazzle, yeah, because you dagger and it and it's um, ancient oh. apparition is pretty nice actually. You can almost get a guaranteed uh, freeze off with cold feet every time because you have like two. It used slows. to be better when you could share the sure the icy hands buff, but um, yeah, those are those are enough. I don't I don't want to list like six heroes because oh. I don't think that's ogre's really also pretty nice because you ogre ogre can like body the lane and then gives you bloodlust later on. So true. True. That's like a game hero. Yeah. Yep. Um, Q&A. If you're mechanically the strongest player on your team, but less skilled strategically, which role should you prefer to pick? Mid? Yep. Um, End of story. <laughs> mid. That's mid players. You described mid players. Yep. <laughs> they just are gods and show up with like items to fights that they didn't orchestrate at all. Okay. Persimmon. 
Jenkins, are you going to share videos where you get coached by other pro players? Join Dota Alcarino's 5.9K. Just hit 6.5K a month. Learned a lot from Jenkins. Much love. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, I don't... It depends. Um, if I, like, pay somebody for coaching and they want to be on the channel, I'll do it. But somebody like, you know, CCNC, he just coached me because he's a fucking great guy and he's my friend. And uh, I know he wouldn't, like, he wouldn't want that <laughs> at all. So people are pretty protective of, like, their thought process yep. because they're making millions of dollars and shit uh, with with it. So Yeah, so it's, it's up but, to uh, their discretion, basically. It has nothing to do with what Jenkins or I wants to do. Right, and a lot of them don't, a lot of them don't like that. They're not interested in that, uh, sadly. So, Souls, could you talk about Veil on Axe and when to leave from cutting the Tier 2 to get your Ring of Health plus phase? You don't leave the Tier 2. You use, you use the Courier. Is it worth bringing the Courier if the supports aren't contesting you, but you have Vision but are out of regen have enough gold for it? Yes, use the Courier. Every, literally every time. Either use the Courier or fucking kill yourself. And and never go back. Never go back. Don't Constantly waste time. You're, the whole reason that you're cutting the wave is so you can accelerate quickly. So if you just throw that away by wasting a bunch of time walking back to base, you've completely nullified the entire. Well, also, you if you if you like leave one creep wave, then you're just giving a creep a creep wave extra of experience to like the carry. Yep. And they can push your tower, and it's just it fucks everything up. It makes it makes getting into cutting position harder because they have vision of you, and the lane is pushed out. Uh, so it's, it's, and there's no like creeps assaulting, like the reason it's easy to keep cutting is because they keep having to, by the time they're done killing the creeps in front of their tower, the next creep wave is there. That's yeah. the reason cutting is so easy because how the fuck is a carry supposed to run over and kill you when there are creeps hitting their tower? An idiot would run over and kill you. Like they're not going to let their tower go to half HP because creeps are hitting it. No yeah. way. So if you, if you stop that pressure from being there, they can just run over and kill you when you're cutting and the creep wave is like in front of your tower, you know, it's like. Because it's just creeps dying, not the tower dying. So they can just run over and kill you on carry. So if you lose that position, like getting into cutting position is so valuable. So valuable. And uh, Veil and Axe, yeah, that's a pretty good item. I've seen a lot of people do that. I've seen Seb do that. He's like the best Axe on the planet. Um, it's just Battle Hunger is good. Does good damage. Veil gives you really good stats. It makes you tanky. Uh, and then with Phase Veil, you can run at people and just beat their ass with the Battle, with the battle Hunger. It's just it's just a nice like early game build, and then you build into blink and regular items. It's just Veil's just a Vanguard replacement. It's very simple. It's literally just a Vanguard replacement that gives you damage. That's it. I see so many people asking me about that in my my stream. It's like Veil on Axe. What the fuck, man? And it's like, dude, it's literally just a Vanguard replacement. It gives you like yeah. relatively the same stats, and then just magic damage and mana, and yeah, it's it's. Yeah, the only it's caveat nice would be if, if you need to build a crimson, go Vanguard. But if your team has good magic damage, build the Veil, right? It's like pretty straightforward. Yeah, sure. If it's just a good Veil game, it's a good Veil game. You just go Veil. Sometimes you don't need a Vanguard. Yep. Uh, Code Rad says, do you guys ever play LOL? I have not played LOL. Hell no. I can't, I can't get over how it how it looks. I've watched people play it, and I can't. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't like... I, I don't like the initial feeling of it from what I see, but I don't know. That's just that's just like it's probably probably a good game. I'm sure it is. Yeah, when I when I left Dota One and started playing the next game, I looked at Han and I looked at Law and I laughed at what Law looked like, and then I was like, "Oh, Han looks exactly like a darker Dota. Cool, I'm in. That's the art style I want to play." It's funny that you judge games based off of art style. Like, it's it's relatively unimportant. Yeah, but. 
and then that's just that's just being human you know your initial your initial judgment of something just how it looks like aesthetically and i i felt the same way about lol where i just looked at it i was like this doesn't look it just doesn't like look as I, hardcore I would, and like i, I want like i it. want a hardcore game right yeah soul says so at what point is it worth it to not cut anymore the carry has the ability to push your tower or when you feel like you can kill yourself and tp to lane and contest no you just you just cut because it gives you fast farm and then you make you can like make a movement and it's whatever you just feel like fighting it's not there's no killing yourself there's no carry like laning should be over by the time you stop cutting it should literally just be like whatever you feel like it's just good for you to run around and start fighting and take towers and shit yeah the, the whole purpose of cutting the lane is because you don't want to play the lane like it's not a lane where you feel like you can just run them over until, by being there until you have an advantage yeah. then you can go play the lane like you can go dive the carry if the laning stage is still going and you're cutting if you're huge and they aren't, you just go dive them and kill them. Yeah. Yeah. I was told by a random coach in a game recently that 30 minutes is probably too late to go for Radiance on Bristol. I already had Crimson Pipe and Boots. Does that sound right? No, that coach is an idiot. Like, sometimes the late Radiance is fine. I don't know. And on Bristol, Bristol specifically, sometimes you want to scale to, like, be a core. You want, like, Radiant Shivas. Uh, if that's one of those games, it's it's fine. Like, having this, this mindset of like timings on items is extremely like 2016 and there's a whole lot of like armchair dota pros that that are people that like watch dota and are like twitch chatters and think that they're really fucking strategically gifted and shit it's usually like four to five k players where they're high enough mmr that they think they're good but they're not they're still building like midas on invoker and shit like that and farming mid for 25 minutes. Like they're just doing old things and saying old things. And I imagine that's probably who you got in your game, but some four to five K shitter who's like, I'm a fucking Dota God. I go pro if I wanted to. And he's just doing like 2016 shit. No, going Radiance late game is fine now. It's 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 perfectly fine. Like it just depends on the use case. If there's a good use case for it, there's a good use case for it. The problem is in the tw in 2016, everybody was like overanalyzing shit. And he was legend. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, in in um, in 2019, Dota's all about like sim simplification. Like, will we kill them if we defend this tower? Like, what do we actually? What do we? What do we get from it? It's not. There's no like crazy timings, or I need to have a battle fury by 22 minutes, or else I don't make enough money if I farm an average of two centaur camps per minute. Like, nobody's thinking about that shit at a at a high level. People think that people are thinking like that. Four to five k players think that 7k players are thinking like that but people at 7k are literally just like i'm going mid i'm playing to the bounties like that's literally their thought process is they're literally just thinking about like the next objective in right. like two or three words yep yeah listen to any pro team communicate <laughs> there's no calculations going on no i mean things have been pre-calculated like exactly. they just know what the best there's no point in having calculations it's not it's not necessary all right, that's it for questions. I have to go scrim now, so no bonus round Sounds for good. today. It was a long-ass stream. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions. Keep them coming. We'll see you next week, or we'll see you for Thursday replay review.